isn't just a noun. It's not just something that we have or don't have. Love is also a verb. It's a doing word. And the doing part of love involves sacrifice. It involves sowing seeds that will result in an eternal harvest. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to have a look at the sorts of seeds that you're sowing right now and the seeds you might sow in the future. Seeds that will still be bearing fruit when you're long gone. So let's do it. Let's dive into God's Word. The farmer who expects a harvest without planting any seed in the field. Now, I'm no farmer. In fact, I'm not even a particularly good gardener. But even I know that unless the guy plants some seed, he's not going to see any sort of harvest. In fact, the only thing he'll see is a great big empty field full of dust or mud, depending on how much rain he's had. He may be dejected, he may be upset, he may be angry that there's no harvest, but what does he expect? He didn't plant any seed. That's pretty obvious. And yet all too often we live our lives on the very same equally ridiculous basis. We wonder why our relationships aren't producing a harvest. See, we want our relationships to be rich and to be full. We want them to be rewarding. We want relationships to be fun as well as being strong and supportive. But all those desirable attributes of relationships, they don't just happen. They take investment. They take effort. And if your relationships aren't all that you want them to be, then maybe, just maybe, it's time to plant a seed. This is the last message in a series that I've called Living a Life That Leaves a Lasting Legacy of Love. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I hope you get the point. We all want to leave something good behind when we're gone. We all want to leave a lasting legacy of love in the lives of our children and perhaps their children, in the lives of our friends, even our work colleagues and our acquaintances. I hope that when I'm gone, some of the many people who've over the years listened to these radio programs will have had a much better life because I did what I did. I hope my children carry forward the values that I imparted to them, decency and integrity and kindness, and hand them on to their friends and their children. We all hope those sort of things. And yet all too often, we don't build and nurture the sort of relationships that allow them to happen. When you think about it, by and large, we only really allow ourselves to be influenced deep down inside by people whom we respect and we trust. If we don't trust them, why would we listen to them? If we don't respect them, why would we take on any of their values or ideas? Makes sense. I want you to think right now about a relationship that's important to you, but perhaps isn't quite what you want it to be. This is a relationship that really, really matters, and yet it's not as healthy as it should be. Do you have that person's face pictured in front of you at the moment? Now, What do you do with that relationship? One of the options is to run away. That's a distinct possibility. If the relationship's causing you pain or if you're perhaps not just up to working on it at the moment, sometimes what we want to do is give up because the circumstances are against us. Pretty sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to share with you a story of a man who wanted to run away from something, from a situation, from a challenging situation, but instead He stayed there because God told him to stay there in the difficult circumstances. And this guy did a very, very important thing. Have a listen to this story. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 12. 
Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to King Abimelech of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but settle in the land that I will show you. Reside in this land as an alien, and I will be with you. I will bless you, for to you and to your descendants I will give all of these lands, and I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands, and all of the nations on the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, and my statutes and laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, well, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she's my wife, thinking, well, these guys might kill me for the sake of Rebekah, because she's attractive in appearance. When Isaac had been there for a long time, King Abimelech of the Philistines looked out of his window and he saw him fondling his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech calls for Isaac and says, so she's your wife. Why then did you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought I might die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech warned all of the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. Isaac sowed seed in that land, and in the same year he reaped a hundredfold. I shared that story because it has three very important lessons in it about planting seeds. The first one is about the famine, adversity, because our natural reaction, like Isaac's, is inevitably to run away, to withdraw. Isaac wanted to run to Egypt, and God said, no, stay here in the famine. When a relationship is going through a difficult time, one of the things we so often want to do is crawl into a cave and hide from it. Anything, just just get me away from here. The last thing we think of doing is being proactive and planting a seed. Think about that difficult relationship I asked you to picture earlier. What have your thoughts been about it over the past week? Have you been thinking about how you can get out of the situation or how you can make it better? Which one have you been focusing on? The second lesson is that Isaac, like his father Abraham, was far from perfect. In fact, he repeated his father's mistake by lying about his wife and putting her in danger. Sometimes we think we have to be perfect to sort things out. Well, it's just not true. You and I will never be perfect. And if you wait until we are to work on a relationship then we'll never get around to it. And the third lesson is the lesson about planting a seed in the middle of a famine. See, it's the most counterintuitive thing that you can possibly do. Isaac sowed a seed in the land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold. If you want to improve a difficult relationship, then be prepared to plant a seed in the middle of the famine, to plant a seed at a time of adversity, because chances are you'll reap a hundredfold in return. What does it look like to sow a seed into a relationship? Hmm. Let's imagine that your relationship is with a teenage son. He's causing you all sorts of grief and you just don't know what to do. He, He listens to all this weird music and he's into all these things that just don't make sense to you. How do you sow a seed into that guy's life to produce a harvest of a hundredfold? Maybe it's time to get interested in the stuff that he's interested in. Ask to listen to some of his music. Show interest. Ask him who the band is and what they're singing about and and why he likes their music. 
Maybe he's into Facebook and you're a complete novice. So ask him to show you how to set up an account and how to use it. Or maybe he's done really well at something and it's time for you to celebrate with him. See, entering into his space, listening to him, getting interested in the things that he's interested in, and that's just the beginning. Each one of those is like planting a seed. There's a famine. The relationship's difficult, but it's a seed that says that you care. It's a seed that says, I love you and I accept you just the way you are. And my friend, this is a seed that will reap a harvest of a hundredfold. It's a seed that will deliver a harvest. If we want to leave behind a lasting legacy of love, then we need to deal with those difficult relationships proactively and positively on the front foot. And that means quite simply being prepared to plant seeds into good soil, the sort of soil that's ready to accept them even during times of adversity, especially during times of adversity. Because that's the sort of seed that's going to deliver the sort of harvest that we're looking for, a lasting legacy of love. Otherwise, we're just like that crazy farmer who expected a harvest without planting any seeds. Don't worry, I'm going to give you just a little bit more time to consider your investment options. Over the last few weeks, we've been chatting about living the sort of life that is going to leave behind a lasting legacy of love. Because as our lives here on this earth draw to an inevitable conclusion, what we leave behind for those whom we really care for starts to matter more and more to us, doesn't it? The important things start to get really important the shorter that our time on this planet becomes. Problem is... It's right now that we need to be doing the sorts of things, planting the sorts of seeds that are in fact going to leave behind that legacy of love. It's no good leaving it till it's too late. So that's what we're talking about in this series, what we need to do now, what seeds we need to plant now, who we need to invest in now, so that when our days on this earth draw to a close, we will really be at a place where we know that we're leaving behind that lasting legacy of love. Now, how are you going with your investment questions? Still struggling with them? Here they are again. You have $100,000 to invest with three options. Option one, put it in an interest-bearing deposit in a bank. Option two, invest it in a blue-chip stock that's been performing handsomely for three years. Option three, put it into a company that looks like it's about to go under. Which one will you choose? Now, if we were talking about a real $100,000, the answer is actually pretty obvious. You'd pick between the bank account and the blue chip stock, depending on the degree to which you're a risk taker. In fact, probably what I'd do is I'd split it 40% each with a bank deposit and the blue chip stock, and I'd take 20% and buy what's called a CFD or a contract for difference. That's a stock market device which allows me to win if the stock of a company falls, and I'd put that on the struggling company. But now let's take a look at that same investment question and look at the relationships that you're going to invest in between now and when you die. Let's draw a relationship analogy. Let's say that the time and effort that you have to invest in a relationship and you can choose between one, a rock solid relationship, two, a slightly higher risk relationship but one that offers greater returns, or three, a struggling relationship that looks like it's about to fail. Now, which one of those are you going to invest in? I know what you're thinking. Right now, what's no doubt going through your mind is, hang on a minute, 
the criteria I applied to the financial investment quiz don't actually apply to the relationships. And if that's what you're thinking, you're absolutely right. Because if that struggling relationship that looks like it's about to fail happens to be your marriage or a relationship with a difficult child, there's every chance that you're torn. On the one hand, you want to throw everything into those relationships, but on the other, you want to run a million miles from them because they're tough and they're hurting and they're demanding and and the toll on you is huge. Some people make the decision to pull the plug on their marriage and to invest in a more pleasant relationship, maybe an affair. Others will go down with the ship fighting to the last to save their marriage or, or, or a child. Because the main criterion in choosing the relationships we invest in is not the return, or it shouldn't be. It's how important those people are to us. There's not a single person on this earth who is more important to me than my beautiful wife, Jackie. I love her dearly, and if I had to, if she needed me to, I would abandon every other relationship in order to save her. So why are we talking about this stuff? What's the point of these tough questions? Simply this. The sad truth is that a good percentage of people are so busy or so tired or so jaded that they don't invest in any relationships. It's like taking their $100,000 and stuffing it under the mattress. Some people never make the decision to invest in any relationships, or when they do, they do it half-heartedly, and they go for the return that they get out of it rather than how important the person is or should be to them. If you and I want to leave behind a lasting legacy of love, then we need to invest in relationships. We need to be deliberate about choosing the relationships we invest in. And like any investment portfolio, there's going to be a spread of different types with different risk and return profiles. A man whose marriage is struggling should throw all of his emotional energies into investing in his marriage. I remember hearing a man speak once, and he told me of the last time he sat and talked with his grandfather in hospital before he passed away. He said, Grandpa, what's the one thing that you're most proud of in your life? Grandpa got a tear in his eye, and he answered, it's simple, growing old with the mother of my children. What a powerful answer, wouldn't you agree? To any man or any woman whose marriage is struggling, I want to implore you to invest all that you have in that company, in that relationship, in that marriage even though it looks like it's about to go under. It may be that you save your marriage. It may be that you don't. But I guarantee you in the long run, whichever way it turns out, you won't regret having given it all that you have. I want to encourage you to to invest in a handful of good friends. Some will give you more than you give them. Others, it'll be the other way around. But friends are invaluable, so choose them wisely. And I also want to encourage you to invest in some people who have nothing to give you whatsoever but who desperately need the help and the love and the care and the concern that someone like you can give them. And finally, please, please invest in some young people at home, at work, in your local community group, and become their mentor. Hand on your wisdom and skills as you pull alongside them and make them much greater and much better than they ever could have been without you. If, if you want to leave a lasting legacy of love that lasts well beyond you, that ripples out from you and down through the generations, then what you need to do right now is to get your relationship investment portfolio going. Jesus is a great example of this. He had thousands, I mean thousands of disciples who followed him around. 
Often when you read about the disciples in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the writer's not talking about the 12. He's actually talking about the much wider group of followers that Jesus had. But Jesus, out of all of those, selected just 12. Mostly uneducated bumpkins, fishermen, tax collectors, not the educational and religious elite from Jerusalem, but the flotsam and jetsam from the slums of Galilee. Simon, whom he named Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas Iscariot, who ultimately betrayed him. Those guys, when you read about them, so often got things wrong. They made a hash of things. They argued. Judas stole from the money that they all had. They tried to outdo each other. Jesus chose imperfect people and he built close relationships with them. And on their shoulders stands his church around the world 2,000 years on. From the investment that Jesus made in those 12 has grown a massive global church. Jesus' investment in his relationships with those men has left the most amazing legacy of love that's rippled down through the ages. He was so often frustrated with them. They, they so often fell short of his expectations. And yet, his 12-fold relationship investment portfolio has returned more than anyone, anyone could ever have imagined. The whole point of sowing seeds is eventually that they yield a harvest. That's what we know, and that's precisely what Jesus taught in the parable of the sower. Now, it may be quite a familiar parable to you, but just have a listen to it again. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. The same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds, they fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Now, the part of that parable that you normally hear people focusing on is the bit about where the seeds fell and what that means, and that's fine. When the disciples asked Jesus to explain this parable to them, that's what he told them about. But I particularly want to focus on the harvest bit at the end and how the harvest is achieved. Here it is again. Verse 8, Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. But where did the harvest come from? It came from those people in whom the seed, which, as Jesus later explains to his disciples, is the word of God, fell into good soil and took root and brought forth the grain. The return on one seed is massive. One seed in such a person yields a hundred or maybe sixty or at the very least thirty more grains. How does that happen? Well, it's as natural as a farmer sowing wheat. When the word of God takes root in the good soil in our heart, it just naturally produces an abundant harvest. Here's what I observe all too often in people. Well-meaning Christians who think that impacting people's lives is all about working hard. Now, to be sure, 
loving people sacrificially involves hard work. And as we've seen, it involves sacrifice a lot of the time. But that work and that sacrifice flow out of us naturally and willingly and joyfully when they come through the Word of God, which through the Holy Spirit has taken root in our hearts. Just think about it. The farmer may well sow the seed, weed the field, fertilize it, but who gives the growth? Who, who turns that one seed into a wheat stalk that produces 100 grains? Not the farmer. God does. And so it is with us. The more of God's word that we get into us, the more he transforms our lives through his spirit and his word, the more grain we're going to produce, the more of a harvest we're going to see because it's his harvest and not ours. And only God, by his spirit and by his word, can produce an abundant eternal harvest in your life, my friend. Only God can win souls through you and transform lives through you. Your role, my role, is to be close to him with the word of God dwelling richly in us. Our role is to be one of these vessels, as pure and as clean and as holy as we can be, ready to be about his business of winning souls and transforming lives. And the time for that to start, well, it's not next week. It's not next month or next year. My friend, the time for that to start is now, here and now. It's exactly what Jesus said. John chapter 4, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then the harvest will come? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. I want to encourage you today to live a life that is so close to Jesus, a life that is so transformed by Jesus, so full of his radically sacrificial, unconditional love, the sort of love that is prepared to lay down its life for others. This Jesus who laid down his life for you, my friend, if you put your trust in him, if you put your life in his hands, he is calling you to lay down your life for others. Because God means to use you just the way you are, just the imperfect way you are, to sow the seeds that are going to make an eternal difference with all my heart. This is what I know. That's what it means to live the sort of life that's going to leave a lasting legacy of love. So as we come to the close of this series, I want to ask you this. What are you going to do to change your life so that your life leaves a hundredfold harvest. What are you going to do to change your life so that when you're gone, at least 100 people will have their lives touched and transformed by the love and the spirit and the word and the grace and the mercy of God simply because they knew you? That's the plan God has for your life. It's a plan to produce an abundant harvest. Been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. 
Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time.